and Kristen um, Bunting and, uh, well, relocated a little over a year ago, year and a half? 15 months. 15 months ago um, from the Panhandle area. Um, Keith now pastors uh, what was once, a long time ago, our church plant down in Melbourne, um, Risen Life Church. And so um, would have loved to rush him up here. 14 and a half months ago, but it's good to let the new guy get settled in in his church. But the last time we were together, he kind of said, yeah, maybe it's getting to be that. And just so glad. Um, I want you to know, church, how quickly um, this has become a near and dear friendship. And I am a benefactor, benefactor of that friendship. So I want you, Trinity, to welcome Keith, as he comes to preach God's word to us this morning. Good morning. So good to be here uh, with you this morning. I want to bring greetings from Melbourne, which I know is not that far away, um, but our church is gathering right now as we speak, Lord willing. Haven't heard otherwise, so so in this case, no news is good news. But um, they're gathering right now, praying for you all this morning, and we we actually pray for you often, and think of you often. And although I wasn't um, in in uh, a direct recipient as a benefactor, to use Tim's word this morning, of your sacrifice years ago to plant a church in Melbourne, I want to express my gratitude for your faith and generosity back when that all occurred. For those of you who are here and participated in that church plant, thank you for your love for the gospel and thank you for your generosity to send a group to Melbourne so that um, the gospel could go forward in that part of our wonderful county, Brevard, which we've lived now for 15 months and we love it here and uh, get to explore. It's a very long county, it seems like. So we get up this way once in a while, but I'm so glad to be here. And I I too want to express uh, my gratitude to Tim who warmly received me and welcomed me within weeks of when we landed in this county and reached out and said, hey, let's have lunch. And uh, I'm excited about our growing friendship and all that I can learn from you, brother. You already know this, but you have a wonderful pastor. And um, yeah, so looking forward to getting to know you over the years, brother. Well, before we dive in, let me provide some context for Ecclesiastes. I, I understand that a number of years ago, you, you may have worked through part of Ecclesiastes, if not the whole book, but Ecclesiastes, it's a, it's a collection of proverbial wise sayings or wise writings. The author, thought by many to be Solomon, although not proven, but thought by many to be Solomon, refers to himself in Ecclesiastes as the preacher or the teacher, he takes us through 12 chapters of significant arrival points in his life. And he's learned some things. He's learned that life on earth is a dead-end street. He's learned that life on earth doesn't deliver. It's a vapor. Life's here one moment and gone the next. The preacher goes on to share that his experience in this life have been colorful, what we would call a lot of earthly joys packed into one life, money, possessions, all manner of physical gratification, popularity, acceptance. You name it, he's had it. And at the point in which these 
writings occurred, he's come to the end of his hope that any of those experiences have produced anything of lasting or eternal value. He labels these experiences with one word, and you probably know it, vanity. He says there's no point to any of it. And, and one of the reasons I love Ecclesiastes so much, for one, is because it says things that sometimes it, it just doesn't sound like the rest of the Bible. <laughs> so we read these, these sayings in Ecclesiastes. It's like, wow, that's in the Bible. Really, really interesting. But one of the reasons I love Ecclesiastes so much is because the preacher understands the human heart so well. He climbs inside the soul of humanity and he says, this hopeless feeling that you have when you think about life and the meaninglessness of it all, this hopeless feeling that you have, I get it. There's no Johnny Bright side aspect to this earthly life. Life is a puff of smoke. It's here one moment, gone the next. Any good experiences you have really are vanity and then you die. Nice thought, right? Way to start a sermon. You might say, Keith, why in the world do you feel the need to go there today? Isn't there enough gloom and doom in the world as we look out and turn on the news for five seconds? Why spend 35 minutes to fixate on this? Well, I think the current times we live in call for us to have a proper worldview. For us to understand what God's word has to say about our lives on this earth, as well as give us a scope as we look beyond this life. So before we go any further, let's pray. I certainly feel my need this morning. And as we look at God's word, we all are in need to understand and apply. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us to this moment. We recognize that this is your divine sovereignty, that you've chosen this moment for us to sit under the authority of your word. In many ways, it's a holy moment when your people come together for corporate worship assembled in the name of Jesus Christ. So Lord, would you send your spirit among us to work in unique ways? We know your spirit is already here, but Lord, we pray that, that you would send your spirit to come in unique ways to work in fresh ways and adjust our thinking. Give us hope where hope is needed. Meet us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I came to dance, 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 dance. I hit the floor because that's my plans, 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 plans. I'm wearing all my favorite brands, 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 brands. Give me some space for both my hands, 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 hands. Some of you are very concerned right now. Yeah, yeah, it goes on and on and on. It goes on and on and on. I throw my hands up in the air sometimes saying, A-O, gotta let go. I wanna celebrate and live my life saying, A-O, baby, let's go. I'm gonna take it all. I'm gonna be the last one standing. Higher overall, I'm gonna be the last one standing. I just want it all. I just want it all. For some of you, I just put a song in your head that wasn't there about 15 minutes ago. I'm sorry about that. You probably won't admit that it's in your head, though. That's okay. <laughs> Tayo Cruz sang this very catchy song a number of years ago. That song and about a thousand other ones just like it express the exact feelings of a culture that longs to find meaning and safety and security and joy in this life. 
There's an escapist mindset that's calling to the world and to us that says, live your best life now and live your life as though your life is never going to end. So go ahead, put on your favorite brands. Go ahead and hit the nightclub as if this night's going to last forever. We'll pay for it tomorrow. Don't worry about it. There's an escapist mindset that, that pervades us. And the problem is in the quieter, smaller moments of our humanity, none of us really believe this, not even those in the world around us who want to make that their anthem. They really don't even believe it. We're all aware that we're stuck on this big ball of doom we call earth. And we're afraid that it will all end and that we will be forgotten and that it will all come to nothing. So one thing every single one of us can be certain of is this. Although the person sitting next to us in this exact moment has no concept whatsoever what's going inside of us, unless we know them very well, they don't know what we're feeling. Our God, our creator who made us knows exactly where we are, what we're thinking how we're feeling, and how humanity longs to make sense of this life that's being presented to us. In every season, whether it's a season of financial stability, loss, or gain, a season of sickness or health, a season of hopelessness or hopefulness, our lives are exposed to the one who exposes who we truly are. And he brings Ecclesiastes so that the need we feel in our souls, we'd be met by his truth. So we're going to look at three main truths this morning. The first one is this. It's my first point, the cycle. The cycle. And you see that in verses 1 through 8 in Ecclesiastes 3. We have what we might refer to as the same old, same old in some ways. The cycle of life. One of my commentaries said, what we have here is 14 pluses met by 14 minuses, which adds up to nothing at all. There's a season for everything, and there's an exact opposite season for every season. It's as if he's asking, are you experiencing a season of dancing? Well, hold on, because what's coming is a season of mourning. It's all cyclical. We all know that there's a time to be born and a time to die. And guess what? We have no control over when those times are. You didn't decide when you were born. You won't decide when you die. That immediately discomforts us, doesn't it? Think about it. We have no control over that whatsoever. It's especially discomforting to those of you, and I have some aspects of my life that are like this, who like to be in control of everything. You know who you are. It's okay. You whose life is planned out as though you know exactly what will happen every hour. Just look at the Google calendar and every slot is filled as though we're able to control it. But all of us can relate on some level. It gnaws at us that these monuments in our lives, when we're born and when we die, we have no control over whatsoever. Once we're alive, we try to plan, but we really have very little control over what takes place in that span of time as well. What happens and how and when it happens. You might spend $10,000 to beautify your yard. We live here in Florida where landscaping is a thing. 
You might plant palm trees and just get all these beautiful tropical plants and fill your yard. You might plant beautiful Floritan sod, fertilize it, make this nice thick carpet of grass and make it beautiful. All you have to do now is, is wait for the rain and fertilize it every so often. You can control that to some degree, right, in your mind? What you can't control is the hurricane that's forming in the Gulf, or maybe not the Gulf because we're living on the east, so I have to remember where I'm living. The hurricane that's forming in the Atlantic that's headed straight for Brevard County that's going to bring all your work in your yard to nothing. We have very little control over the details of what happens. You ever felt like your effort is worthless? The thing you just did just got undid. Do you ever feel that way? In the same way, there's a time for laughing and a time for mourning and a time for dancing and a time for scattering stones and a time for gathering them up, a time to embrace, a time to refrain, a time to kill and a time to heal. If you've ever been around a farmer, someone who's agriculturally minded, when it's time for that chicken to go, it's just time for it to go. It's not, we're not too worried about it. There's a time to kill. It's just the way it is. When it's time, it's time. It's the cycle. When asked about life, many of us tend to say things like same old, same old, or same day, or excuse me, same stuff, different day. And I remember back to when I was high school, all these music things we're talking about today, when Prince sang, tonight I'm going to party like it's 1999. And I remember thinking, 1999? That's so far away. Yes, yes, it is. That's right. <laughs> That'll never get here. Now we're looking at $29.99, which seems so far away. But really, is it? What's happening to us? What's happening to us is the same thing that's happening in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. The same thing that's happening to every human being. It's called the cycle of life. It comes and then poof, it goes. Now, our problem isn't that life moves, it's the fact that life doesn't stand still, if you think of it that way. How many of us have said, if I could make time stop, if I could just make it stop right now. I remember a couple of years ago when my wife and I took my oldest daughter away to college, and what a day that was. I mean, your, your first, your oldest child, take them away to college. And I remember that the day started, and I just wanted to maximize every moment of that. And before you know it, the day was coming to an end. It's like, where did this day go? I looked across the table at this beautiful 20-year-old girl and thought, I'm about to leave her in this place. A few years ago, Chris and I were able to go on a five-day trip for our 25-year anniversary. It was going to be a five-day trip. And I remember, five whole days? Wow, this is awesome. We got through the four days, and I looked back and went, what just happened? It's day five. Just want time to stop. We want to encapsulate moments. We humans, we want to encapsulate moments and live in them longer than reality allows, but we can't. We have no control over time and how fast things move in the world, in our country, in our lives. And we long to try to negotiate our tiny little part of the vast expanse of time, and we realize that we are just a little piece of dust on the screen. And this is why we're tempted to make so much of our lives to grab a hold of every joy we can. 
fill it up with noise and activities to stop us from allowing these sobering moments about the blip of humanity to really gnaw away at our soul in profound ways. So we fill it with noise. But when do we stop and say, is there really a point to all this? (laughs) When we actually time to wonder about the vast scheme of things, our humanity can tempt us to fear that there really is no vast scheme of things. Now, I know I'm talking to many who have placed their hope in God this morning, so that's not your, your daily experience, but are there times when you just go, is there really more? And maybe for some of you, that's a bigger category. When we're confronted with this reality, it's a, it has a way of just seeping into our souls. Just like the, the Tayo Cruz song, everyone around us functionally believes that they will be around and remembered forever. Even though when they really stop to think about it, they know they're fooling themselves. The truth is, our grandchildren likely won't even know our names. Do you know the names of your great-grandparents? Did I say grandchildren? I meant to say great-grandchildren. I hope your grandchildren know your names. Yeah. The only way we can see more clearly, dear friends, is to see through the eyes of the one who sees everything. In other words, only one who sees everything clearly, someone outside ourselves, someone other than us, someone greater than us can give us the proper vision about life. So let's look at our second point together, point two, the new vision the new vision, and I promise this point has much more good news in it than the first point. Look at verse nine. It can seem like a financial question, but it isn't. What gain has the worker from all his toil? This is, this is fundamental, not just dealing with compensation for work or compensation about employment. It's a rhetorical question saying that you work <laughs> so that you can get money, so that you can eat, so that you can stay alive, so that You can work so that you can eat, so that you can stay alive, so that you can work, so that, right? Mm -hmm. This cycle that's there. So the question, what does the worker gain from his toil? Why am I doing this? And people say this all the time. Look at the mindset in verse 10. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Actually, other translations swap out the word business for burden. And that's an important distinction there. I have seen the burden that God has given the children of man. In other words, the frustration that men and women experience is actually the result of a God-given burden. We have to get that right at this point in this passage. God-given burden, our business. How can it be that God gives that burden? Well, let's look. He's made everything beautiful in his time. He has put eternity in the hearts of men. God has created the world. He made it beautiful, a beautiful world with all perfection, absolute and ultimate beauty. He set it in time and space. He created male and female for his glory to know him, to commune with him beautifully, joyfully, perfectly to walk in the garden with him, to enjoy all the benefits of that companionship with our creator, fully satisfying in every way. Death 
frustration, confusion, depression. They were not designed into that system. It was all perfection, beauty, purity, harmony with God. God establishes all the reality that one day will again exist when God brings that picture into completion. And many of you know what's next. Man has turned his back on the creator God and all that God had to say about us, about everything. (laughs) As a result of that, the thought or concept of eternity that is in mankind's mind is actually something that haunts us, not only here in Ecclesiastes, but something throughout the Bible, like places like Romans 1, we find this testimony. Romans 1 affirms what the rest of the Bible says, namely that men and women are made with the knowledge of God. There is no escaping from the knowledge of God. Let's look at it. This is Romans 1, 19 through 23. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor God, excuse me, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Based on this passage, the Bible addresses atheism. We're going to talk about that for a moment. The atheists might try to ignore that they have a knowledge of God, but deep down they know they can't escape it. The Bible says that there are no true atheists. They will try to explain it or reason it away, and they want to. But the deepest recesses of their soul call out to them and say they they know that someone exists outside themselves. They know that God is. And it's the very existence of God that creates a challenge or dilemma in the heart of of the mind of that individual. So think about it. If God created us for a purpose, he did, he created us for a purpose, and unless we discover and fulfill that purpose, we will never be satisfied with anything else that is offered throughout the journey of this proof of life we've been talking about. It's all vanity. Romans chapter one attests, there is no experience that can meet this deep longing of ours on earth. There is no relationship with parent, child, spouse, lover, friend, cool person that can answer the desire of the soul of human being. And this is the burden. This is the burden. This is the business that God has laid on men, having made us for his pleasure, having created us in his image. We have to be forever dissatisfied until we come to him and until we come to live in fellowship with him. So we created in time, we're actually created for eternity. So if you feel in this life that it's a, it's a cyclical mess of dead end streets and then you die, you feel the right thing. Unless fully connected to the one who calls himself your eternal God, your creator. That's what's meant to be felt here. 
So it's no surprise that our lives would be marked out by frustration and confusion when we remain away from our Creator or when we turn our back on our Creator. Because we were created for Him. You might say, why doesn't God make himself known to me more fully so that I feel better? Good question. God is under no obligation whatsoever to satisfy our intellectual curiosity or just make you feel better about life. He will, however, bend low to a genuine, authentic expression of humility and hunger, desperate to know him. James 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is a promise that requires humility and hunger for our creator. Not for this life, but for our creator. When a person begins to think about their insignificance, the fact that they were not in charge of their, their birth or death, no control over the seasons of life, it should breed humility and hunger in us. It should breed a longing in us, in us, but we in our pride are often prone to say, I'm in charge of all of this. Maybe even just functionally, even though we wouldn't say it with words, we functionally say, I'm in charge of all of this. I'm in charge of my life. Dear friend, I say this as lovingly as I can to you. You are in charge of nothing. If the last 18 months should have shown us anything, it should have shown us that we are in charge of nothing. Other than pray, we can't control what happens in our country or our world. Look at verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Yes. Nothing can be added to it, nor nothing taken away from it. Thank God, I don't want to add to what God is doing. I don't want to take away from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. He who has magnified himself in the beauty and order of creation. He who has spoken in the person of Jesus Christ. He who has revealed himself in the pages of his word. He who desires to empower and fill us daily. It's all about him. It's all for him. Now to say that is utterly countercultural. You are living for someone other than yourself. And for this life, that is utterly countercultural. But I fear that we get used to saying it, that the knowledge of God and dependence on God, our creator, it loses its comforting effect on us because we get so used to saying it all the time. But can you just pause for a moment and, and recognize that we do have a creator upon which he is calling us to be utterly and fully dependent for every detail of this life. So does that mean that there is no joy in anything life has to offer? Of course, there are all kinds of biblical joy. It's not our sermon this morning, but the, the Bible is full of expressions of biblical joy. What we're saying is this, earthly joy passes. Earthly joy does not fulfill the deepest longing in man. Why? Because God has set eternity in our hearts. Our burden, our business is to work and be in this world, but we have a new vision. We have a new mindset, and that mindset drives us 
to have a knowledge our, of our creator. So I just want to go drive into our neighborhoods for a moment. I'm going to drive it, take you into my neighborhood. I live in Palm Bay. It's about as far south as you can go in Brevard County. This explains why my unbelieving neighbors, those who have yet to profess faith in Jesus Christ, why their life is the song I quoted at the beginning of this passage, or why your unbelieving friends, why they're frustrated with everything. They are confused or angry about everything. They've gone through another Sunday, and instead of worshiping here, not necessarily it's about this location, but coming into corporate worship with the assembly of believers and bowing down before an eternal creator God, instead of doing that, they've gone through another Sunday worshiping shrines that they've built in their own lives. They bow before the gods that they've made, but they weren't satisfied when the weekend was over with all that they did. Their gods didn't speak to them or listen to them. They didn't answer any of their prayers. They didn't do anything of lasting value for them. They got from their gods nothing of substance, nothing lasting. I think we need to hear that this morning. So you can't take enough vacations or drink enough vodka or go to the nightclub enough times to meet that satisfaction that God has put or that desire for satisfaction that God has put in our hearts, in our desires. If you're a Christian here this morning, if you have knowledge of God, I wanna ask you this question. Are you grabbing a hold of the new reality? Are you grabbing hold of the new reality that you live in that's been shaped by your creator who has set your hearts on eternity? The day a person expresses dissatisfaction with all of this, it's the best day because they realize the burden on their back that has them weighed down, they realize that that only just points them to recognize that there has to be an answer somewhere else. There has to be an answer in someone else, someone outside of ourselves, and we know that there is. Amen? Amen. <laughs> we know in whom it is. You have a burden laid on your back by God. So that's the reality. You have a burden laid on your back by God. You have a, a restlessness laid in your life by God in order that when you look at the one who gave you the burden, you also look at him to take away the burden. Yes. This is Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What sweet words. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. Yeah. Not burden, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we just saunter through life with no cry for help, there will be no relieving of the burden. We'll feel it every day, but when we come to recognize the futility of it all, we recognize the burden has actually come from God. Why? So he can lift it. That changes everything, dear friends. That changes everything. So point three, and this will be a shorter point, the resolve. The resolve. The way you and I respond to the seasonal changes of life, that there is a time for everything, Verses one through eight. The way we respond to that is actually pretty revealing about us. 
But the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he holds out out for us here that we shouldn't despair. The, The person who trusts in God, the believer, can accept the same life routine described here, but he does not accept it as a burden. He accepts it as a gift. Look at verse 13. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. Now, that's one of those places that doesn't sound like the Bible, right? Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Really? God's gift? The unbeliever comes and says, life stinks. Are you telling me this is a gift? Every day it's the same thing. And you're telling me that the the food I eat and the routine that I do from Monday through Friday, every morning, the terrible news I'm watching every day, something new to be upset about, and on and on and on, it's a gift? I don't see it. Well, dear friends, of course they don't see it. They do what they do for the momentary passing burst of relief. And for them, the Monday mornings of life seem to keep rolling in like waves and any momentary joy they experience is gone like a poof, what we've been saying all morning. The believer can look at the exact same set of circumstances and say, I'm doing what I do for a purpose. I'm doing what I do for the glory of God. Suddenly my life My food, my drink, my day, my routine, even the news that I watch, which by the way, you don't have to. (laughs) It's taken on a completely different vision because I understand verse 14 just a little bit better. The plans of God need no correction. The plans of God endure forever. Nothing added, nothing taken away. We just get in the way with our control, desire to control things. But nothing can be added. Nothing can can be taken away from the plans of God exactly as he designed them, the great and perfect creator. So yes, we are finite. We're supposed to feel that in this passage. We will not be remembered much past this life. Hopefully our grandchildren will know our names, but maybe not our great. Everything we build just crumbles and then we build it again. You start with nothing, you end with nothing. That's the cycle of life, but it's fine because you know that God has a divine purpose in all of it and the things he accomplishes last forever. What he builds lasts forever. Is this comforting for us this morning? My significance is not ultimately in me or in what I do. My significance is ultimately in my identity in Christ, the author and perfecter, the one who gave his life and allows me to live in the good of his work, which is ultimate and final. It cannot be thwarted. My significance is in knowing my creator that I was made for his pleasure. I then suddenly realize that I exist for someone outside myself. I even exist for someone more than the person sitting next to me this morning. I exist for someone outside myself. I exist for a purpose far greater than just being a dad or for some of you for a a mom or for me a pastor or whatever it is that you are. We are all those things, but those things left in the cycle of life become the source of confusion and disappointment until I understand that in this process, God is doing something far greater. 
God is doing something eternal. Paul writes in Romans 8, you know, many of you know this passage so well, and this verse that can't be missed this morning. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Folks, we are not at the mercy of Mother Nature. We are not at the mercy of our government. We are not at the mercy of a disease, a pandemic. We are at the mercy of God, the one who showers down mercy on our lives in the context of his good purposes. My physique, my finances, my family of origin, my country of origin, my surroundings, my health, my personality, my intelligence or lack of it, they all fit within the framework of God's wonderful purposes and bow down to His will. And that should change everything about how I see life. Same is true of you. This should change everything about this view of the cycle of life. So where is your vision this morning? To just draw this sermon to a close. I would just ask you, where, where are your eyes set? Where are you looking? Is it in this life or are your eyes set on Christ? Is your scope fixated on Christ in eternity? Just before I pray to close, I want to read from Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Where are we to look this morning? We're to look at our Savior who sits in eternity, welcoming us who trust in him as Savior. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that you would quicken our souls to receive the words this morning that you intended for us to receive. And whatever I may have said, Lord, that was unhelpful, pray that you would allow those to dismiss those according to the direction of your spirit. Lord, land on our souls what, what you want to be lasting in each of our lives today. But I pray this morning for this church. Lord, I thank you for uniquely setting them apart, for consecrating them, for the purpose of spreading your name. And I thank you for doing that, in a, for, for choosing them to do that in a time such as this. Lord, where the world is, is very confusing, it can be easy to look at events and, and things and happenings and be in despair, to take our eyes off the Savior, to take our eyes off the Creator and look at our lives instead. Lord, I pray that you would put within us a desire to bow down before our Creator, Lord, today. 
that as we stare into eternity with hope, Lord, that you would meet us in that. I pray for this church that I just see a church full of people standing together, looking the exact same direction, looking at the Savior, Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would meet them in that endeavor, and Lord, that you would make them effective for your purposes. We thank you.